Hey, good morning. I know Eric just introduced that, that next week we're starting a new series, uh, Lyrics of Christmas. Did you say that? He thought I wasn't going to remember. I actually wrote it down, and, and I asked him only three or four times this morning. So uh, that, that begins next week. That means this is the last time we're in this book of 1 Peter. Uh, I've enjoyed 1 Peter. I hope you have, and I hope you've, you've gained from it. That you're listening to his words because I think I think what uh, Peter has been saying is valuable for the church and for a lot of reasons we're going to see today as we wrap this up. We're going to look at First Peter chapter two, uh, excuse me, chapter four, and it's going to be verses twelve through nineteen. We're going to finish up chapter uh, chapter four. That leaves chapter five. I am going to do a little bit of that as we end, uh, but but because of the uh, Christmas. Uh, one starting, we're going to wrap it up today. And so, I'm really excited. Therefore, since it's the last one, we got to do this again. First Peter chapter 2. Has anybody prepared for this all week? In the past several weeks, we've been preparing together, okay? So, it's First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Basically says this, well, verses before, man, for those of you who have chosen Jesus to be that chief cornerstone. That main cornerstone of the structure and, and are establishing your life upon him. Then, then here's what verse 9 says. You are a chosen. What did you say, Bill? Grace? You. Okay, no. You are a. Bill, how, we've been doing this for weeks. You are a chosen people. Okay. Don't get any more like. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not the same word. Chosen people. Okay, so oh, oh, now please give it a shot. I know Bill, Bill thinks that, you know, now I'm going to scold anybody who doesn't get it right. Just Bill, just Bill, if he gets it right. So the rest is, so a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy, a chosen, or no, a, a precious, yeah, God's uh, precious possession or special possession, whichever your your book says. It goes on to say, oh, what for? So we could all be put on pedestals. <gasps> no. <laughs> the, the next few words is simply this, in order that we would give praise to God. Uh, for that identity, our praise goes to God, who's called us out of darkness into light. And, and so, man, that's what, what a great, tremendous verse that is. Now, throughout this book of Peter, there has been uh, some talk of difficulties that come for people who make such a decision, who are going to live on behalf of Jesus. There's troubles that, that come uh, with words and other things. Now, uh, actually, the word suffering comes up in this first, uh, first Peter uh, chapter 4. In the verses that we're going to look, there is some suffering happening with the people that Peter is addressing. Now, I, I want to be clear on suffering, the type of suffering, because everyone in this world knows suffering. Isn't that right? Uh, the, the, it is just a truth that if you're going to live in this world, along the line, somewhere in life, there is going to be some suffering. That takes place. It could be hunger or even to the point of starvation, uh, poverty. There are sicknesses, cancer. Uh, there's viruses. Uh, there, there are uh, problems, you know, that, that could happen, uh, disorders that happen on your bone or in your blood or, or on, on your skin. 
all kinds of disorders. So that's troubles, that's suffering. Uh, there's also natural disasters that could strike at any time, anywhere. I mean, depending on Kansas, it's tornadoes, right, or, or flooding. Uh, in, in different parts of the world, it's different types of disasters that could strike. There are accidents, fires, automobile accidents. And, and everybody in this world uh, could suffer through all the things I've just mentioned. Even, even to the point of maybe the government uh, is, is bringing, uh, depends on where you are in this world, government is bringing down uh, oppression upon people. And that could cause difficulties as well. So that falls upon both the righteous and the unrighteous. Those in Jesus, those who aren't in Jesus. The suffering that Peter focuses on and that he talks about throughout this letter is a, a, a uh, uh, suffering on behalf of Jesus. Uh, those who have made that stance, that decision to stand upon Jesus as, as his cornerstone or, or as that cornerstone for his life. Uh, if you make that decision, then the good possibility is, is there's going to be troubles or suffering. Here's, here's where we're going Today, let's read the passage, beginning in verse 12. Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the uh, name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of, of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I want us to consider these words of Peter. And, and to think about Peter himself. Peter knew suffering. Peter knew troubles. Matter of fact, all the apostles, including Paul, knew troubles and suffering. If you remember Jesus' words as he was calling them and, and, and asking them to follow after him, Jesus said those words early on. He said, well, if you're going to follow after me, take up your cross and follow me. That, that ought to be a good indication of the direction you're going and what is possible ahead. There might be troubles or even to the point of suffering ahead. That's what he said to the apostles. And we do know that, that a majority of them, almost all of them, suffered martyrs' deaths and, and uh, uh, other, other various difficulties that they went through because of this commission to deliver this good news to the world. Same, same message that you and I are bearing and, and taking out to the people who do not know Jesus yet. Uh, it is a risk. It is a risk to follow after Jesus. Uh, we we got to be careful when we're 
sharing Jesus with people and, and, and want them to know, I, do, should we tell them that? Let's, let's save the difficulty for later, okay? We'll, we'll just tell them about God's good grace and that you can be connected with Jesus and, and so come join him. But the truth is, maybe it's best to just be straightforward. Hey, you know what? In this choice, you could have troubles, that's what Peter has been talking about in several places. We're going to unfold that more and more. But, but it's obvious that in Peter's letter and actually throughout the New Testament that, that uh, it's, it's not easy to live for Jesus. Matter of fact, living for Jesus attracts trouble. Living for Jesus attracts trouble and even suffering. So here's some observations. I'm just going to point out a couple observations in the passage that we read today concerning this suffering. Uh, first one is real easy to pull out uh, from verse 12. And the fact that Peter says, hey, hey brothers, uh, don't be surprised when, when you face this fiery ordeal or as you're going through this fire. Don't be surprised about this. So in, in our point is we cannot be surprised when trouble comes as followers of Christ. We shouldn't be surprised when we face these difficulties. Peter calls it a fiery ordeal. It doesn't give a lot of details, but I think from the scriptures and knowing history, there's, there's some things that we could uh, possibly put together. Some, some think that it was during the time of Nero, who was in Rome, and uh, he was wicked. And, and he was big on uh, persecuting the Christians at that time. Matter of fact, he laid a false accusation against them and, and claiming that they were the ones who started a big fire that took place in Rome. Blamed them, and then all of a sudden this, this persecution against Christians arose. Now, when we go to the book of Peter, though, we don't, we don't hear some things mentioned. We don't hear anything about imprisonment or even beatings that we see in other places. Uh, a lot of what we see in Peter are words are done with words. It, it is things like uh, back in verse 4 where it says, They are surprised and they do not join them in their reckless while living. Therefore, what do they do? They heap abuse on you. They malign you. They ridicule you. They slander you. It's all done with words. Uh, and, and even to the point of making accusations. I believe there were some false accusations going out towards the believers at that time. And so a lot of what they were facing from what we read as we read through all this letter are the things of, of verbal abuse, you know, insults, again, ridicule or even accusations were, were coming. And, and so uh, Peter tells them, hey, don't be surprised that you're facing all this. And, do you think, you know, more than likely the reason they're saying that is because are they surprised? Are they surprised that they're facing these difficulties? Well, why in the world would they be surprised? Well, do you think of maybe a reason when you think about 1 Peter chapter, four, no, chapter 2, verse 9? What did he just tell them? He said, hey, you are, you are the chosen of God. You are the chosen people. You, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, a, a special a possession of God. You remember I said something about that pedestal? Woo! Are you feeling pretty special? What do you mean that I would go through suffering? Do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm chosen of God. I'm his special possession. God, what's happening? 
Uh, and perhaps that might be the thought. I want you to understand, again, as we talked about this, this letter is not written to Jews. If it were to Jews, they might be more familiar with some oppression and difficulties. I mean, it, it, right before Jesus came in, there was uh, oppression during that time of the Maccabees. Uh, people being killed, and, and, and they knew oppression. Uh, but these Gentiles, from, from the territory uh, that he's in, you know, uh, Cappadocia and Bithynia, those, those places that he's, he's speaking about, that, that was solely a Gentile area. They, they were coming, uh, that where they were living in a place where they were within community, my people, you know. They were in that area, but once they became believers in Jesus, things changed. Did you hear it in verse 4? Let me read that verse 4 again in chapter 4. Uh, all of a sudden, there was a difference in the way they were living. They dropped the things of sinfulness. And, and in verse 4, when it says they, uh, those, those who were not believers, those who were consistent in their life, they looked at the believers, the new believers, and they said they are surprised, or that they, they were surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. They're not joining us in our reckless and wild living. There's a change in, in our lives. Remember, I, I don't want you to forget what's uh, in, in that second chapter it said after that glorious uh, introduction of who you are. But it said two things. I, just to remind you, it said, hey, don't no longer abide in, in, in that sinful desires. Matter of fact, it says, you know, reject it. Reject the evil desires. Reject uh, those passions that we're drawn to. Uh, turn our backs on those things. And instead, you know, then the second thing was to live such good lives. So there's a couple places where we're reminded to in what Peter says here about his, his main teaching through this. Now, uh, this, this whole idea that, that Peter is introducing is really contrary to that health and wealth messages that's laid out uh, today in many churches. That if you're a believer, then, then you're, you're going to be healthy. There's, there's not, there's not going to be any sickness. And therefore, all of a sudden, if you're sick, then you're thinking, oh, God, why do you? It might be along that same line of thinking. Or, you know, uh, you're going to be wealthy. Well, I continue to struggle making ends meet. God, when, when are you going to follow through? This, this teaching, this, this scripture is absolutely contrary to that. In this world, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have difficulties. Uh, ultimately, uh, the reason for the difficulties is so that you will put your trust in God. And you'll put your confidence in Him. Now, uh, it's interesting. He says, okay, listen. Uh, don't be surprised that you're going to suffer or go through these troubles. And in verse 13, he turns around and says, uh, this is a reason for rejoicing. Now, that, is that taking it too far? Can I ask you? Uh, is that taking it too far? I mean, oh, there's difficulties comes because I'm faithful to Jesus. Now there's trouble comes. That's a bit much to now start rejoicing over this. We heard this from James, kind of the same thought, that when you face trials of many kinds, you know, uh, you know it's joy that you think about. Uh, rejoice about those things because it, it does what is? It works on us. It, it, it strengthens us. It, it 
continues to be a part of changing us. Now he says in verse 13, um, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Well, why? Why, why should we do some rejoicing? Because you are coming alongside or joining Jesus in suffering. What does that mean? It's even a blessing. Uh, Jesus himself in, in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount said, in those Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12, he said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, this was before his own suffering, his sufferings coming. And then Peter, later on, who heard these very words, says, man, you get to participate. You rejoice because you get to be a part of suffering, the same kind of suffering that Jesus went through. Jesus came into this world absolutely righteous, holy, acted on behalf, did not in any way uh, was contrary to the law that was established. He was definitely uh, contrary to a lot of religious people who, who put more value in sacrifice than in God's mercy. And, and, and therefore, in their, you know, Jesus, the greatest troubles he had was from the religious people. And he suffered and died upon the cross. I want to say that, that in, in, in verse 14, I don't want to skip over verse 14. It has some, some content there that also ought to cause us to rejoice. 14 says this, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's, that's significant. Uh, well, what's it saying? Well, we know that, that we've been given his Holy Spirit. And, and the words directed towards us, you know, if, if they're taken in, in that direction or thrown in, at you, that the insults or the, the rebuking or, or whatever is coming towards you or, or the false accusations, then, then it's also going towards the very Spirit of Christ. Again, joining together in his sufferings. This suffering, this kind of suffering, is evidence of God indwelling you. That's a good thing. That's, that's a great thing. That's a glorious thing. That, you know, I, I remember throughout the scriptures, there's places where they rejoiced when they were you know, put in prison and shackled, that they went into rejoicing because they felt privileged to be suffering on the behalf of Jesus. Uh, maybe we'll understand a little bit more as we continue going on. Uh, again, keep that in mind about rejoicing. There's reasons to rejoice for suffering. But the second observation I want to make is found in verses 17 and 18. Lots of questions, especially I ask a lot of questions around 17 and 18. Here's what I found. First of all, the point is this, that we as the church... Those who have established themselves upon that, that, that stone, that, that cornerstone of Jesus, we will face judgment first. We're going to face judgment first. Listen to what 17 says. Just the beginning of 17. It says, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. 
God's household. Believe it's talking about everything built upon Jesus. That's you and I. That's the church. It begins with what, what judgment would be the question. It doesn't say specifically, hey, it's God's judgment. Is it God's judgment? Are we, are we the ones under God's judgment at the beginning and then follows those who are not under God? Or, or is it the world around us? Is it the world around us that is judging us? Maybe in all those words we see in, in Peter, the, the thing of the false accusations, uh, the, the maligning, the rebuking, you know, they have not only judged us, but they have condemned us for the way we're acting in our attitudes. I, I'm not sure where to put the judgment because I believe God's a part of that in the fact that he doesn't protect his people. He doesn't, he doesn't keep you from such judgments from the world around us. He didn't keep Paul from that. He didn't keep Peter or any of the other apostles away from the harm that came to them because they continued to declare the word and he's not going to do us as well. Well, why? If this is God's judgment, what he's doing. Going back to verse 12, I think is, is and something I didn't bring up was this. Again, verse 12 says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. To test you. Why, why would the church uh, be under any kind of judgment right now except it is a testing? You know, under, under the world's condemnation, their unrighteousness, dealing with our righteousness, our, the, the good lives that we're supposed to be living. And, and, and so as the world condemns us, what do we do? Continue to live, live those lives on, on Jesus' behalf. Actually, continue to be faithful and consistent in our commitment to him. Stand committed to him. Uh, live through the judgment. Live through the difficulties that we face within this world. I believe what he says. Part of that is, is because, you know what's coming? The rest of 17 it says, uh, let me read the first part of 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with, the, with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What is going to be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? See, there's the judgment that we're beginning with that, that we experience in this life from the world. That God allows, it tests us, it, it proves us, it, it shapes us. And, and we grow from that, or we crumble under that. I mean, that's a possibility, too, I want to be clear. But then the judgment that is yet to come belongs absolutely to God. The judgment that is yet to come for those who have not received the gospel is destruction, is troubles, is woes. It, it is punishment. It is condemning judgment that'll come upon you for your sinfulness understand that which judgment do you prefer the beginning judgment that the church receives or the judgment under god the condemning judgment over the sinfulness live the gospel face the judgment from the world or ignore the gospel and and face god in his condemnation that's the choice that's the choice we have, as Peter has written it out here. Uh, 
I find it interesting what it says in, in verse 18. Verse 18, it says, and, and, and so he goes to Proverbs to pull this out, and, and he fashions it for his sake that goes along with 17. He says, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The first part of that is you and I, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved. I, I found that interesting. Is it difficult for us to be saved? I always thought it was easy. I thought it was just simple. Oh, just receive Jesus. Oh, just say this prayer. Oh, just do that or do this. And that, that, that'll make you, you know, you're, you're saved. Well, that, you know, some of those things we'd say, you know, what Isaiah did is a beginning. But what's the difficulty? What's the difficulty of, uh, that the righteous have to go through? What is that? Jesus also said in, in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, 13, 14, Jesus said clearly, he said, enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. What's it saying? You know, the easiest choice in life is just status quo. Or the easiest choice in life is pursue the things of this world. Whatever my flesh wants, I'm going to do. Whatever my desires call for, that's my pursuit. Hey, that's a wide road and it leads to destruction. Then Jesus said, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I want to be part of the people who want to go through the, through the narrow gate. I want to go the, the way that's going to be difficult. and hard. Perhaps it's that judgment of this world that makes it difficult. I'm going to live different from this world. If I want to live like the world, that's wide. But if I want to live different from this world, it means going through that narrow gate. And pursuing a life that was lived, and I think he did a great job, like Jesus, who lived to please God with his life. And did it well, and he did it well, right? He did it absolutely well. That's our pursuit. That's our pursuit. If we're embracing the things of this world, if we're following after our desires and our passions that he's told us to abstain from, then, then, hey, we, we're just choosing the easy road of this world. Going the way of this world. And if you do that, then that road leads to destruction. That leads to hell. It leads to hell. Being separated from God, the Father. Now, listen. And come back here, just, just to bring this all together. But suffering is not, is, is not to be thought of as, as something... That, that we don't want to be a part of. I don't think it's something that you want to go out there and create for yourself. I believe that if you live for Jesus, if you share your faith, I, 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 I find it interesting that in this Peter points out, hey, hey, um, uh, you know, not that you're going to be suffering because of your own crimes, you know, if you're killing people or if you're stealing or, or if you're committing some kind of crime, you're suffering for Jesus, so don't find Jesus. If you were doing something on Jesus' behalf and find yourself in prison, great. Then, then man, he's glorified. 
when I think about that too, because he comes along and says, now that can't be it, nor is it meddling. You know what meddling is? Basically sticking your nose in where it doesn't belong. That's not to everybody else's life. And in the name of Jesus, try to meddle and to wean your way into places in people's lives that just turns them away. Just turns them off, turns them away. I think they need to know about Jesus. I don't think they need to know about your religious life. I think they need to know about Jesus first. First, Jesus. First, the message of Jesus. That they understand their sinfulness. That they need to understand that there is no way, no other way to come to the Father except through Jesus. Uh, we we want to, you know, sometimes good life. No more bad language. All of the things that our society is trying to bring on you. But our message is really simple. You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. He does the transforming work. He does good things. He does amazing things. I know because there's a number of you here that we're watching your life change and be transformed. And it is, it is amazing to see what, what God is doing in your lives. So excited about that. Now, uh, final observation I want to share with you is this. If you face suffering, you know, it's simply, that I think Peter's message is don't fall. The place where in the midst of this, the trials that the world brings upon us, that, that it is possible to turn your back on Jesus. Had enough of this suffering. And if, if you receive that message of, hey, Jesus wants you healthy, wealthy, then, then, then man, you're going to fall. You don't understand that, hey, following after Jesus means take up your cross and follow me. There's difficulties you're going to face and not to run from, but to love Jesus all along, even in the face of suffering. Uh, in, the, in the English, well, here's verse 19. Here he says, Peter says, so then those who suffer according to God's will. Again, his judgment, his, I mean, the world's judgment and, and God's testing, proving us, uh, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I like how it translates it in the English Standard Version. There it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will uh, entrust, will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while entrusting ourselves to God. Uh, it is the simplest message. What do we do? How do we live in this world? Trust God. <laughs> trust him. Are, are you committed to Jesus? And you're facing trouble. Hey, trust God. He knows what he's doing. Uh, is it a time of testing? Stay faithful. Trust God. Trust him. Put your confidence in him. And in, in the last line was, and then stay faithful in doing what? Good. Doing good. What was Peter's... You know, overall uh, message, one of the simplest messages of Peter laid out is that live such good lives. Live the righteousness of Jesus. Live, live in submission to those you need to submit to. Be over, you know, treat them with uh, respect and, and understanding and, and uh, not, not with some iron fist pounding on their heads. Uh, but live also that life separate from the sinfulness of this world. No longer in darkness, but living in the light of Jesus Christ. Living his, 
his uh, righteousness. I like the way Peter says creator. You know, put your trust in, in our creator. Uh, not many places does, does it use, the, you know, Peter, about the only one who, who says our creator is part of a challenge. And, and the idea behind that, can you trust the one who put you together? Can you trust the one who set the course for your life? And, and has, has given you the difficulties come. Can you trust?